0: Good morning. Glad you guys are here. Uh, this is our third week, that is correct, but there's another week. So, Pastor Peter tricked you. We're going to have another one after this one. So, oh, don't you worry as we go through Song of Songs. All right, let's start with our shouts. Here we go. What do we do? <laughs> love God and love others. What do we say? I love God and I love you. It's all right, all right, uh, says Jerry. For the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, looking at the beauty and the power of, of godly passion and sexual expression at church, I know, and uh, today we're going to key in on what can harm relationships and uh, uh, how uh, sometimes things that are going on in us can hurt, our, hurt godly sexuality and, and hurt our lives. In particular, an area that we're going to focus on or really key on today is our insecurities and our fears uh, and how they can be detrimental if we don't recognize them and deal with them appropriately in our relationships. So insecurities and fears, they keep us distant. They uh, keep us defensive and, and even demanding. I think fears spark the, the worst versions of ourselves in our relationships. I know for, for me, whenever uh, there's difficulty in my relationship and my insecurities get touched on a little bit, it, it always causes a much worse problem than whatever was the original problem because my insecurities kick in. And that that seems to happen often for folks. So if we want our love song to really sing, we must assuage the fears of our partner. So, I know we want to immediately think, yeah, I have insecurities. I want to fix, I want them to help my insecurities. But in our relationships, if we want to have a passionate, godly sexual expression in our relationships, then we've got to take care of the other person in our relationship. Because we can't we can't guard our own insecurities. There are insecurities. But our spouse or our other can guard our insecurities for us. They can, they can work extra to make sure that we don't get triggered in certain ways. They can um, overprotect. They can cover. They can invest in areas which we find uh, insecure in our own lives. And, and that's this beauty, that they can completely drown out the insecurities uh, so that those insecurities don't sabotage our love song. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're going to look at insecurities that come up in the book of Song of Songs that we've been looking at. And uh, it doesn't express all of the insecurities, because that would be like, a, you know, a impossible. There's a, a mountain of insecurities. But, but it will touch on several that are, that are pretty normal in our lives. And my goal today isn't to fix your insecurities, because that's impossible, nor to answer them, but rather to say, in a, in a healthy, passionate relationship, the person, with your with, uh, the person you're with is the person who is helping you along with God to deal with those insecurities. And so let's see a few of these um, insecurities in the Song of Songs. The first is, is looks, insecurity uh, of how we look. Uh, the lady is talking in this song, and, and the first one we saw last week, she, she thought that she might be too plain. She said, I'm a rose of share, and I'm just like one lily in the field. And he responded to her, he said, "No, what you are, you are a lily among thorns." He said, "No matter what other kind of lilies are out there." She thought she was too plain. She's speaking of her looks, right? She, maybe I, I'm just one in a million. Who is he? Like he's like the he, literally the king, right? And she's like, "Who am I?" And so she was worried that her looks would just be too plain. Uh, she had other fears about her looks. Earlier, uh, a few verses earlier, she said this to him. She was saying, "Dark am I, yet lovely." Daughters of Jerusalem, I'm dark like the tents of Kadar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Don't stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. And and so this is an insecurity that she has about, she says, look at me, my, my color, uh, possibly about her station in life, like uh, poor people tend to work outside, rich people tend to work inside. That was true back then as it is now. And uh, during this time in culture, if you were darker, it meant that you were poorer, and They actually thought you were a lower quality of like marriage, marriageable, right? And so uh, that's true in some cultures even right now. I know, um, you know, our family is pretty diverse. We got some from China and, and Korea and that sort of stuff. And and those uh, our Asian countries tend to think dark is less attractive. Now in America they're like in tanning booths trying to get as dark as they can, right? Get some skin cancer. So they, but but not uh, so in re- our reality that that it might be true for many of us where you thought. You know, maybe my looks weren't good enough. And that's what she thought. She thought that she was less desirable. She's insecure about those looks. And I think the general idea about being insecure about our looks is sort of a universal problem in society with both men and women facing it. I don't think that uh, even women have it more than men. I, I think women maybe share it more, but I think men have lots of insecurities about their looks as well the inundation of what looks sexual, uh, sexually attractive touches every one of our lives. And I think that we often feel like we don't measure up to the images that we've seen that, that uh, are displayed everywhere in our culture as sexually desirable. And it's called insecurity. What do you think of this painting? Boom, it's popped up right there. What do you think of that one? Uh, Starry Night by Van Gogh. I dislike this painting. I don't really like Van Gogh. I think this is his best. And if that's his best, eh. How about this one? Oh, man. Da Vinci. That's the Mona Lisa. That dude is ugly. Uh, I actively dislike that painting. I Leave that up. Where's my painting? I actively dislike this painting. I don't know it's the most famous painting in the world, probably. Um, no. No, I, I have no interest in the painting at all. I I think it's actually not a good-looking painting. Edward Munch. You guys know this guy? Echoes of a Scream? No? (laughs) you got to be kidding me, right? Come on, that's not like... (laughs) Famous painting. Top ten in the world. This is a terrifying nightmare. I, I had that nightmare once, right? They made a movie out of it, and it looked just like that, and it's... How about how about this one? Grant Woods, American Gothic. Do you know what's weird? This is my favorite painting in the world. I'm not kidding. On the planet, this is my favorite famous painting. Now, now there's some I like some landscapes as well, so especially like American naturalism and that sort of stuff. But give it, stop getting rid of my give my painting back up. Thank you. Goodness. This is literally my like, favorite painting. I'm not joking. I know that it seemed like it is. You may be looking at that like, are you kidding? I love the, the clean, linear, vertical lines of this painting. I love. Uh, this is a dad and daughter, not a husband and wife, and so that changes the dynamic. He's got his pitchfork ready to kill anyone who's tried to come near his daughter. I love that he is protective. He got his game face on that. You saw this also in Bad Boys when they tried to date the daughter. That's what he's... Look at her. She's like, come on, Dad. You're not going to do the pitchfork thing. And he's like, I am. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Come on my farm like this. So I love this painting. I actually think it's a a gorgeous, beautiful painting. I I love the colors. I love the clean lines of it. Uh, I think it's amazing. And the really cool thing with art is that that we all can have a favorite, a, a different favorite, right? We can all look at a painting and, and how it appeals to us is different. We see beauty in it where someone else doesn't. We see uh, because art is really personal. It's, it's individual and it's unique. The same is true with sexual attraction and beauty. I can honestly, it, it's, if I can open up my heart as, as clear as you could see it, I honestly truly think that my wife is the most beautiful woman ever created on the planet. She's the most attractive female that I have ever met. Now, I'm a realist, and I understand that maybe sounds like hyperbole or something. Or, or You met my wife. She's one. She's probably not in line for supermodel, right? Um, I recognize by the standards of someone else, she might not be the, the, the most beautiful woman in the world, but I don't give a darn about someone else. All I care about is how I see her. And when I look at her, ever since I first met her, I met my wife when I was 15 years old. I looked over my right shoulder. She was sitting one row back, two seats behind me in Algebra II class. The moment I saw her, I was like, it's an angel from heaven. I didn't even believe in angels, but I thought it was one, you know. She was the most beautiful person then. And when I look at her now, she's the most beautiful person to me. And this is amazing. It's fantastic because that can be true for each of us. Just like art, it's individual, it's subjective, and it's it's unique to you. And so we all have the opportunity to say to our spouse, I think this person is the most beautiful person on the planet. And if we can if we can tell them that, if we can express how we feel that way towards them, that'd go a long way to assuaging some of the insecurities that maybe our wives or our husband have. You know, especially as you get a little bit older, maybe you get a little bit wider and flimsier and like flappier and darker and and spottier and all sorts of things. If we can if we can express to our spouse how how attractive they are to us, it would go a long way towards taking care of this problem. You see, when I look at my wife I see the greatest creation of God in terms of human beings. And I tell her that a lot. Sharing that information constantly and and emphatically with your spouse will help fight against those kind of insecurities. Now, both Solomon and his bride do this pretty well if you read through Song of Songs. If you think back of last week, what he was saying to her and how he's talking to her and and how he kept saying how beautiful she is and he was saying how handsome you are, how you're this, you're this. They do a good job of of filling in those insecurities for one another in the Song of Songs. The second one is uh, a place of insecurity that we see in Song of Songs comes from family trauma and maybe you can relate from that, so she says, she says, my mother's sons, they were angry with me, so my mother's sons, maybe brothers or half-brothers, and this is in uh, 1-6, and they made me take care of the vineyards, and my own vineyard I had neg- to neglect, and so she's talking about some of this uh, family drama that she had, maybe the brothers were treated differently than she was, and perhaps that's why she was so dark, because she was the, had to carry the brunt of the labor, or or maybe it's even more, the brunt of like some other family issues that are going on, and and so she seems to have some dysfunction in her familial life that's leading to an insecurity here. And I think that that can uh, be true for us as well. One of our key insecurities is rooted from our own family upbringing. It could stem from our own parents' dissatisfaction or, or dysfunction in their relationship. Maybe, maybe your parents were married, but they were only married by title. They were living together basically in separate lives. Maybe they didn't show any affection. You didn't get to see that at all. Maybe maybe your parents uh, got divorced, which is the ultimate betrayal of this committed relationship, and you had to live through that and you had to see that. And so you're you're thinking about your life, you know, and you saw that your parents fought, constantly fought, and ultimately they broke that their, their marriage, and or they allowed it to just fizzle out or fade away. And then you worry like, is it? Is that going to happen to me? And so there's insecurity in relationship. Like, is the troubles from that I saw growing up or in my my past is that going to come and hurt my relationship? Now those kind of things, those fears are important for your spouse to know. It's important that we share those with one another. She shares it in song and songs with uh, with Solomon, and that's an important key point because then if I know that about my spouse, then I'm able to give additional coverages or assurances or or loves, or commitments, especially when we're fighting. Especially if, because, you know, my wife and I, we fought once or twice ever, and so it happens occasionally, even to pastors. Um, Luckily, we don't fight anymore. We don't have the energy, I think. We we fight very rarely. But during a fight, it takes special care if the person's insecurity is that you're going to leave. If their insecurity is, I saw my parents fight and grow like this. Now, they didn't even get divorced. But they were. They didn't get divorced, but they weren't living Song of Song's life of passion They were living a dispassionate, separated relationship, even if they were still married, or maybe they did get divorced. And, and you're like, if you know that's a worry, and you're in the middle of a fight with your spouse, you've got to be really careful to not like, walk out because you're mad to cool off, but you didn't tell them that you're coming back or something like that, And there all of a sudden triggers this like insecurity of being left. And so it's just something that's really important to know. She worries about her reputation, this girl. It, this is just the following verse. She says, tell me, whom, uh, you whom I love, where, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? So in this time, a veiled woman would be like, a, that's how they would say a prostitute, <laughs> or like someone with loose moral values. So she says, I'm not just trying to chase after you because I'm some... Hoochie mama, you know, like I'm, she's like, that's not, I don't want to be seen like that. And, and uh, she's worried about her reputation. Like, we don't know her past. Like, I, I don't, we don't know, the Song of Songs doesn't tell about her past. But for us, I think a questionable past, our questionable maybe relationships, could be an insecurity in our marriages. And so it's important to talk openly and honestly about, uh, with our spouse, about uh, sexual mistakes that we made. Because I think those mistakes often bring insecurity to both parties. Fears and worries about comparison or value or love, they all need to be addressed in order for godly passion to flourish. So if you're in a marriage and you've never addressed some of your past reputation stuff, you gotta you got to address that. And if you're wondering why your current passion isn't flourishing, it may be because of this insecurity that's hurting you and or your, your spouse. And maybe they didn't even mention it because they didn't want to mention it because you didn't mention it and then no one mentioned it now it's been too long and so, but maybe maybe that's one of the fears that is hurting godly passionate sexual sexual expression in your relationships the next one is waiting for the right time we see this three times so in the book of the Song, songs this one verse th- shows up three times it says this daughters of jerusalem i charge you do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires Do not arouse or awaken love until the right time. This is mentioned three times, so anytime the Bible says it multiple times in the same kind of book, then you want to key in on it. And I I sort of think of this as like fire. Like fire is really great. Like fire is good to have a fire you could heat yourself if you're warm, uh, I mean, if you're cold. Uh, Fire makes yummy s'mores. But fire is great only when it's controlled. When fire is out of control, it causes your house to burn down. It causes forest fires and people to die uh, and devastation. And sexuality is just like that. Under control in the right situation, it's one of the greatest gifts that God gave to human beings. But out of control, it can cause incredible damage, not just to yourself, but to your spouse and even to other people. Which is why we have this admonition in Song of Solomon, to not ignite passion until the right time. I think, especially for our young folks, one of the legitimate fears that our young people have, especially if they're Christians and they're wanting to to follow God, is awakening this passion too early as you attempt to to honor God with your sexuality. I think the, the idea of the right time is a key limiter to what is appropriate versus inappropriate in sexual expression for those of you that aren't married. Look, sin is sin is always satisfying a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. So I have a need to worship, so I can either worship God or I can worship an idol. So the, the desire is okay, and it's how do I express that desire. I have a need for sex, and I can express that in marriage or I can express it in some other form. And so the desire isn't bad, it's the expression that, that would cause this problem. I have a need for friends, so I kidnap somebody. Or I just go make some friends, right? One, one, one's not okay and one's okay. The desire isn't the problem. It's the expression of that desire where we get in trouble. And I think often churches have only presented the negative argument for you young people that are, they're trying to wait to have sex before you get married. So church will quite easily say to young people that sex is sinful if you're not married and God does not want you to sin, which is true. Like It is sinful and God doesn't want you to sin. But we forget to highlight the positive reasons for wanting uh, to wait to have sex. We forget that people are much more likely to be motivated by positive than the negative. In fact, parents like, if you tell your kids not to do something, what's the most likely outcome if you tell them not to do that? They are most likely going to do that. (laughs) And so I'm not sure that that that's the best approach if if we're trying to uh, navigate our sexuality as single persons that the admonition of no, no, no is the best way to go about obtaining the thing that you desire by waiting to be, to be married. I think presenting the amazing positive blessings that come with having sex at the right time, not just any time, might prove a much more effective way to communicate what God truly wants in this area for our young people. Because I'll tell you honestly, God wants you to thrive. He wants you to receive the maximum blessing. If God created sex, and he did, young people, he wants you to have sex in the best, most pleasurable, amazing, possible way. That's what he created you for. See, God always created you for something good. Everything that Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And he created this, and he wants you to experience it in the best possible way. And waiting until you're married to enjoy sex is part of the right timing. It's sort of like... Uh, you can, you can wake up on, on the 22nd of December, go out to where your parents put the presents by the tree, and you can tear open all your presents on the 22nd of, you know, of, of December. and Whoa, that would be a ton of fun. Well, it would be kind of fun, maybe, but, but by waiting until the 25th, Christmas Day, or maybe you're a Christmas Eve family, and you, and you get the presents, and you open them, and by waiting just a few extra days, it's much more joyful you go on the 20 seconds tear it open, you sort of lose the magic of Christmas, I think, a little bit on the, if you just go by yourself, tear open your presents. And I, I think this is a little bit like like sexuality. Just wait a little bit. I know you're young and you're like, oh, it seems so far away. It's not. It's like eight years or six years or four years. I don't know, whatever your ages are. It's not that far away. So, so just wait a couple of days. You'll be fine. Like, chill out. Because there's something so much greater If we can share that that positive, God wants you to have amazing sex, but at the right time, just like fire. You can't just light it up anywhere. You've got to control it a little bit. Otherwise, it can be devastating. All right, the next one that the Song of Songs talk about is, is, I don't know how to phrase it in terms of insecurities, but it's small things. It's, It's the little things in relationship. And here's how it, it says it in this really cool way that I think you're going to be able to remember and maybe use in your relationships now. So uh, it says this, catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards Our vineyards that are in bloom. And so, remember, vineyards are another sort of this passionate relationship, uh, sexuality kind of stuff. And and Song Song says, you got to watch out for little foxes because they're going to ruin vineyards that are in bloom. Now, I didn't know this about foxes, that they ruin vineyards. This isn't just an idiom, it's a reality. I don't, you know... I'm a, I've said before I'm a city person. I don't know anything about animals, but I know how to Google stuff. So apparently foxes, they're omnivores, so they eat uh, grapes off the vine. They eat fruit. But then they also dig. So I didn't know they were burrowers. So they dig, and so they ruin the roots of, of grape trees. And they like to gnaw on things. So they gnaw on the base stems of like uh, mature... Uh, grape trees, and so apparently uh, foxes are really bad to have in your vineyard, and they uh, do a lot of damage. If unchecked, they can ruin the entire vineyard. Just a couple of foxes. And I mentioned earlier, you know, vineyard was this metaphor for our sexuality or our relationships, and and so I think it's what it's saying here is that we've got to get rid of the little things that sabotage a passionate relationship. And our, today we're talking about like insecurities in the sermon. And our insecurities are something that's kind of little in life, but they can really sabotage our relationship. I mean, I think there's several things in, in relationships that can trigger our insecurities. Little foxes. There's a little fox called tone. How you talk to someone. Yeah? Yes. It's just tone. Hurry up! Hurry up, babe. Come on! Come on! We do a lot of counseling for about 30 years, been counseling people in relationships. And after your first or second year, it's never about issues. It's never like, what? You don't believe in the Trinity anymore? what you want to move to Nicaragua it's never it's like oh he came in and he put his bag down with tone and he texted me with tone how do you text with tone but you can right and then it came in and she said it's almost always tone that little darn box so little they say it you know their tones off and you get petty so you're like, oh, yeah? I'll get my tone off, too. <laughs> so you get your tone off, and then she's like, mm. You've had this experience in relationship? That is one of those little foxes that will destroy passion because you're not like, yeah, come here, baby, right after that, right? She's like, get out of town. <laughs> tone will destroy relationships. How we talk to our spouse, how, how she talks to me, it changes everything. It's not even the content of the discussion. I mean, we could talk about anything. Any problem, issue, mistake that I made in the right tone, the moment that tone switches, man, I can't hear that mistake that I made. All I hear is my insecurities popping up. I'm blocking. I'm I'm building my walls. I'm I'm ready to attack and defend. (laughs) Tone. This little fox. It triggers insecurities on a massive scale. makes me unsure. It it makes me angry. It makes me defenses. It, It sours our relationship. Some other little foxes, mistrust, jealousy, makes everything feel unstable. Or like selfishness or pride, refusing to acknowledge that that you actually messed up or you were in the wrong ever. Or or even the flip kind of that, an unforgiving attitude where like, even if they're like, sorry about that, you don't forgive them. Or you say you do, but in a week, you bring it right back up. But that, that wasn't forgiveness then. That was just holding your ammo. So maybe that kind of just little thing, little fox. Maybe harsh language rather than, than loving language. Think of the contrast of a husband yelling and demeaning his spouse versus what you read in Song of Songs. What a different tone, what a different style of, of words. Words matter in our relationships. The words you, you choose to use. Now I have this really cool brag that I have never uh, said a bad word to my wife. Never once. And I I love that I can say that. And I hope that I can continue to you with power of God that I will continue to say that. But this is something that I've been really careful for because I know how much it hurts me when I hear hurtful words. And so I've been pretty careful with that. So in all these kind of things, you gotta catch them darn little foxes before they destroy the vineyard. And so watch out for the little things. In relationship the next one is fear of being alone here's what she says all night long on my bed I look for the one my heart loves and I I look for him but I didn't find him I'll get up now and I'll go about the city through the streets and the squares I'll search for the one my heart loves so I look for him and I couldn't find him the watchman found me as they made their rounds around the city and I was like have you seen the one my heart loves scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves I held him and I wouldn't let him go God created us to be in communion with people to long for relationship. Now, occasionally, God gives a supernatural gift to someone which allows them uh, to go through life without a strong attraction to be married in, without a strong sexual desire to be with somebody. Occasionally, God gives that spiritual gift. It is extremely rare, um, and it has to be given from God. If you're interested, if you have that gift, uh, I ask a couple of questions. Uh, do you desire to have sex with somebody? And you're like, yep. Then you don't have the gift. <laughs> the person who has that gift, they're like, yeah, not really. It's not really interesting to me. And it's very rare to have that. For the rest of humanity, we're designed to long for and need intimate connection. An intimacy that, that comes from commitment and is then fulfilled in the sexual connection of two people. The fear of being alone is natural. And the beauty of a godly, stable marriage is that that fear can be dispelled in our marriages. Another problem they have, as he worries about this one, is comparison. He has to uh, tell her ahead of time, look, 60 queens, there may be an 80 concubine. As I told you early on in his relationship, he ends up with 700 wives and 300 concubines by the time he dies. Virgins beyond number, but he says, my dove, my perfect one, is unique, the only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The young woman saw her, called her blessed. The queens of the concubines praised her. Relationship comparison. Man, he's worried that she'll have a fear of the other wives, an insecurity that he's got all these other relationships. And that's probably not true for us. We're not fundamental Mormons, so you probably I don't have to talk about the sister-wife dynamic. I don't think there's anyone in that category, but... But for us, it may not be current wives. It may be past relationships, again. It it may be that you have to make sure not to allow the baggage of previous relationships to sabotage your current marriage relationship. Comparison is always a losing proposition, always, so don't do it. Solomon makes sure that his wife knows that his previous relationships won't hinder his passionate romance and sexual expression. And the last thing I kind of want to say about this is um, I mentioned before that insecurities, they can change throughout your life. And the insecurities I had when I first got married are different than the ones that I have now. And knowing that this sermon was coming earlier this week, you know, Hedge and I were just talking and, and I was saying, how, how have your insecurities changed from when we were first married 20 years ago until now? And we've had a lot of life together. And the insecurities that I had then aren't the same ones that I have now. And we just spent an evening where we just talked for probably about an hour and a half or so uh, about our insecurities now and how they changed. And, and, and uh, we didn't come up with any huge solutions or something, but, but knowing, oh, wow, you're, you're more insecure about that, that allows me to then be able to cover, protect, and, and guard her as her insecurities may be changed and, and different. So, so as a married couple, I want to encourage you to stay engaged in that sort of check-in once in a while, you know? Maybe every five years or something. Hey, are your insecurities any different? How, how can I better love you? How can I better protect the areas that you feel weak in? So we all come to relationships with faults and, and defects and mistakes and issues, but we can all experience godly, passionate intimacy as we seek to guard our spouse against those insecurities. The awesome news in all of this is that you're not on your own. If you're ex- sexuality in God's way then you always have someone with you to protect you, to guide you, to guard you to be with you and not only another person that every single one of us who know Christ as our Lord and Savior we never navigate these kind of things alone we navigate them with the power of the Holy Spirit with us and so we're going to stand together Uh, we're going to worship sing a little bit, praise to God who loves us, who restores us and who has really great things in mind for you. Whether you're in your 20th or 30th year of marriage, he has a great week for you. And whether maybe you're not married and you're still still in this place where you're having to wait just a little bit, don't worry, Christmas is almost here. Keep waiting and honoring God. And so let's sing worship to him.